That's a clown question, bro. Hi, what's up, Bunny? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to the show to be named later. We're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Christianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, it's been a good day because of the Baseball Hall of Fame. They have done it. They have announced the ballot for this year's election. Yes, they have. Finally, we know who is on this ticket. We've been awaiting for so long. And a lot of people were wondering, is Alex Rios going to make it? Turns out he didn't. He did not make the ballot. He did not make it. Corey Hart did not make it. Grady Sizemore did not make it. Uh, various people did not make it. But the ones who, but I mean, yeah, obviously, if you don't make the ballot, it's not like you were getting votes anyway. Um, Pretty but much. Nonetheless, we have the 25 people that will be competing for their shot at unanimity or at uh, immortality in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Correct. Uh, it's it's a big deal. It's a big deal for people like us because we're we're supposed to be the people. If you're, that yeah, if you're a diehard baseball fan, this is your favorite part of the offseason, without a question. All right, uh, real quick, the players who were eligible for the ballot that didn't make it are Grady Sizemore, Corey Hart, Adam LaRoche, Alex Rios, Dan Ugla, CJ Wilson, Rafael Soriano, and Aaron Harang. Yeah, it is. It is weird when like when people are on the hall of fame ballot and you remember a significant portion of their career because it's, yeah. Yeah. I, I start to feel a little older. Like Grady Sizemore was on a hall of fame trajectory for like two or three years in like Oh six Oh seven. Yeah, he was, he was like a legit MVP finalist in like 2006, 2007. And then uh, eventually found also. himself on the Red Sox in 2014. And if yeah, you were... yeah. He found himself hitting opening day home runs for the 2014 Red Sox. Yeah, and if you were an outfielder... Against the team that we covered. Yeah, if you were an outfielder uh, in the on the 2014 Red Sox, it wasn't great. Daniel no. Lava, Jacoby Ellsbury had left. Shane Victorino was back to being just an injured guy. There was Grady Sizemore. Jack Alan Craig. Had like an OPS below 600. Uh, it was not not great for the 2014 Red Sox outfield. Alex Hassan. Uh, yeah, Alex Hassan. Garen Chikini. He wasn't an outfielder, but Garen Chikini. Yeah, they had they had to be saved by Mookie Betts eventually. Literally, <laughs> but he was the, but he came up as a second baseman though. That's true, but I think they they put him out in the outfield immediately. They did. Right? They, did. they put him in center that year. Yeah, well, and yeah. They, had, they had Cespedes too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They they acquired Cespedes. Yeah. So, yeah. They had Betts and Cespedes. Yeah. Great. Great the... out. And Bradley with great defense. Yeah. Yeah. They put. Yeah. Betts was a center fielder until uh 2016. Yeah. And then uh, then Bradley took over. He went to right. Man, those were the days. Those were the days. Before we had before Red Sox fans had any idea what was what was to come. Yeah. But yeah, that's 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 basically uh, how how do we get how do we get or yeah we got we got there from Hall of Fame from that's from Grady Sizemore because he was Grady Sizemore missing the ballot. But yeah, I mean, I guess there's some there's some 
intriguing first guys. There's definitely no it's, slam dunk guys. It's a weak. It's a weak first year class. Like yeah. there are guys, like the guys that are interesting are interesting because they could make it in ten years. Like there's yeah. no one who's gonna be like all these people will in five years will either be have been kicked off the ballot or be hovering like thirty percent. Yeah. Yeah. The the headliners are. Definitely uh, Mark Burley, Tim mm-hmm. Hudson, Tory Hunter, and I don't know if there's another guy in there. That's okay. I'll just name off all the first years, and you kind of you. That's kind of it. Uh, Mark Burley, AJ Burnett, Michael Kadire, Dan Heron, Latroy Hawkins, Tim Hudson, Tory Hunter, Aramis Ramirez, Nick Swisher, and Shane Victorino and Barry Zito. Oh. Shane, Shane Victorino and Grady or Grady Sizemore were both key parts yeah. of the 2014 Red Sox outfield. But yeah, he, Sizemore is not on the ballot. Victorino um, is. Victorino is not going to get in though. No, he is not. Although, he's like, probably not going to get. He's maybe he'll get one percent of the vote. I don't think he's going to get much of anything. Um, he yeah, had no, uh, 31.5 no, wins no. above replacement. His best season was in 2000. It was in 2013 when he had a six win season. Um, yeah, I mean, the, he didn't play past 34, which is, I mean, pretty much an automatic no in most in most yeah, cases. Unless you're unless you're Sandy Koufax or Ralph Kiner. Yeah, Ralph Kiner. Um, pretty the much. Greatest 12 year career ever. Yeah, that's he pretty much. Played it. from he literally played from ages 23 to ages to ages 32. And ended up being a Hall of Famer, but he also had a 946 career OPS. Yeah, he really, yeah, he packed it in. He was he was very very peak heavy. Very and, much. Uh, had three eight win seasons in his career. Kiner. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He did. That'll do it. Yeah, he uh he didn't win MVP, but he came close. No. Mr. Kiner. Um. Yeah. So I mean. Uh, we don't have to get into cases yet, but I think there is a case to be made for Mark Burley. Um, I think there can be a case to be made for Tim Hudson. Uh, Tory Hunter is also a name. I don't really think I would make a case for him. I mean, I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but I, I don't. I wouldn't do it personally. I don't uh, think. I should, I should take a look here. I mean, I don't know how many gold. Uh, he won nine gold gloves which is really listen tory hunter is one of the best defensive center fielders there ever was which is saying something because there's been a lot of them but i just don't think his offense really makes up for or uh if yeah i mean 10 ops plus uh just hovering 50 wins above replacement on baseball reference (laughs) i mean you'd have to make the the scale argument i I think yeah gloves and a 277 average I mean, although, no, but at least he had a 110 OP, but at least yeah. his OPS was literally 105 points above his Kells. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, I guess, I guess it shows like, cause uh, Andrew Jones's OPS plus was 111, mm-hmm. but I guess Jones was that much better of a. Jones of a, was, very, was much more peak heavy though. Yeah. Jones was more peak heavy and. Yeah, he had much better seasons, and uh, I guess he was also a better center fielder. Yeah. Because I was wondering about the gap in wins above replacement, but... It, uh, it definitely exists. Yeah, Jones... 
Um, Jones just ekes it out. For I will tell you this. I, I tweeted this uh, about a week or so ago. Um, Andrew Jones in 2005 put up the only season in baseball history where a guy hit 50 home runs and had a D-war of at least two. Yeah, that's that that's a big thing. And yeah, I think we're going to get into those bubble cases later on. I think we decided yeah. today that uh, I think from from next week's news episode up until uh, like the announcement. We'll do like uh, one bubble candidate a week. We'll do one bubble candidate a week. I think those guys include like Andrew Jones, Scott Rowland, uh, Billy Wagner, Bobby Abreu. Andy Pettit. Andy Pettit. Todd Helton. Yes, Todd Helton. Sosa. Yeah, um, Sammy Sosa. Maybe, maybe Manny, Wagner. but that's... Manny's, Manny and Sosa are kind of different because it's like, yeah, you know, they would have definitely been Hall of Famers if not for PED use. And it's whatever views you have on that you have, and you can't really change. It's hard to change that. So exactly. same with Bonds and Clemens, because like whether you like to admit it or not, they are bubble cases, but it's not, yeah. you know, the case that we have to make for them doesn't come on baseball reference. It doesn't come on fan grass. It comes with morality uh, yeah. and where we stand on that. So. You know, I think I think a lot of people are established on whether they'd vote for Bonds or not before before they even look at his baseball reference page because there's no question. I mean, I I say this with Bonds because he's more notable, but I when I say Bonds, I also mean Clemens. Um, I think people would had decide whether they vote for him or not before looking at baseball reference because it's no question that they were the best of all time at what they did. Yeah, I mean they're the literal all-time leaders in Cy Young awards and MVPs. Correct. Each with seven. It's funny. They have so many similarities. Like they both retired after the same season. They both had seven Cy Youngs or MVPs. Um, they both started their career. Did they, didn't Clement start his career in 86 too, or is that 85? It was 84. Never mind. 84. Yeah. They, they had similar career lengths. Um, and they're, yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. You could, argue, you could argue that they are the best hitter and pitcher of all time. Yeah, it it's true. It's true. There definitely is a case to be made. Um, should we predict, like, out of the new guys, who's going to stay on the ballot? Ooh, I like that. Uh, okay, I think Burley stays. I think mm-hmm. Burnett goes. I think Kadire goes. I think Hawkins goes. I think Hudson. I'm going to say Hudson goes. I don't think Tim Hudson stays on. I think Tori Hunter stays. Aramis Ramirez goes. Swisher goes. Victorino goes. And Zito also goes. So I think just Burley and Hunter stay on. Um, I'm thinking uh, Burley, Hunter, and Hudson both okay. stay on. And I'm trying to look at Zito. No, Zito's not going to stay on. Tim Hudson definitely could stay on but i don't think he will i don't know if five percent of the voters are gonna are gonna make a case for him yeah i mean he doesn't have the traditional numbers but i mean in terms of staying on because i know some guys just vote just to know, keep some people do vote for people just so they can stay on which is really yeah. stupid uh i mean there i think there are some guys that have kind of gotten screwed by the by not being able to stay on like i think lance berkman is a guy who had a chance but he just couldn't stay a year on the ballot um yeah. yeah. Uh, who else? Um, I'm trying to think where they might be looked at differently, but I'm not sure. 
Lance Berkman had a 943 career OPS. Yeah, and like pretty similar. He had 1.2%, I think. Yeah, pretty similar numbers to like Edgar Martinez and stuff, who people were lobbying very hard to get him into the Hall of Fame, rightfully so. Um, but yeah, that was interesting. But yeah, I think uh, I think those three stay on, and like I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked to see like. I want to see Hudson how many people stayed on last year. Was it is Abreu the only second year on the ballot? Because I mean, obviously Jeter got in, but let's face it, there are no first year. There are no first year first ballot Hall of Famers uh, this year. That's not happening. Yeah, Bobby Abreu is the only second year. So yeah, uh, he and Jeter were the only ones who eclipsed five percent last year. Yeah, and, and Bobby Abreu got like five point five percent. So it was close. Yeah, Abreu. Abreu. Honestly, I could see like being inducted in like twenty twenty eight or something like that. I could. I could see it too. Like I would. And honestly, I don't think I'd complain that much either. Yeah, because I. Uh, like initially when I heard Bobby Abreu and we'll get we'll get into this more when we kind of cover him as a bubble case initially when I heard Bobby Abreu it's like nah he's not gonna get in and then I kind of looked at his stats and like combination of OPS and stolen bases um, was very very good I think I think what happened with a lot of those guys in the 90s is you know, they were kind of in a period of excellence. Like there were a lot of excellent players in like the mid nineties to early two thousands. And some guys just got mixed in there, but like, if you put them in a different era, they'd be outstanding. And I think Bobby Abreu might be one of those guys. Right. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I mean, Bobby Abreu, like uh, I've seen a lot on Twitter for him. Uh, and I, I get it. Like, I think there is, I think there's a case to be made. I don't really know why he was just never as well known, but like he quietly like put up a very possible hall of fame case. Uh, yeah. It could just be that he played for a lot of bad teams. Like when he, when he was on the Phillies, he left before 08. When he was on the Yankees, he left before 09. Uh, he was on the angels before they had trout, but they were, they did go to the postseason a couple of times, but they were kind of, they didn't really do, they didn't really make a ton of noise those years. Um, yeah, I think there certainly can be a case to be made for Bobby Abreu. I don't know if this year is the year that I start making the case, but it's something I definitely am going to look at this yeah. year. It's just, it's, it's something to take a gander at. Yeah. You know, I haven't filled out my ballot yet. Uh, I usually wait a little bit, but I have nine spots that I know I'm going to use. And I've been looking for who's going to be the 10th. I have a few guys tossed up in my mind and Bobby Abreu is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm I'm starting to think about adding guys, kind of maxing it out at ten. Because last year, last year I only year, had six. I did too. Um, yeah, last year I only had six, and you know I think a lot of guys deserve it because the the period we're talking about, the period of time is like these guys kind of peaked in the late '90s to early slash late aughts, and that was a time where a lot of people were good. So. I don't think them kind of getting mixed in with a lot of other guys that were good should go against them. Random question, Chris, did you have Scott Rowland last year? I'm trying to remember. I did not. You did not. Okay. Might be, might be an interesting thing to look at this year. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I did. I have looked at him. I did a lot of of research. I think, I think Scott Rowland is the most underrated player on this entire ballot. Yeah. There's definitely a case there. And I think, and uh, yeah, what I was about to say was, 
I did a lot of Hall of Fame research during quarantine. I did too. Like, I basically was... filled out my palette during quarantine. Yeah. Because I, was, I remember I was, in April, I was just sitting on my bed like, well, Burley's going to be there. Tory Hunter's going to be there. Those are probably the main two. <laughs> so, I mean, if you have this, you no longer have Jeter and Walker on the ballot. So now you got more spaces to fill. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to be adding this guy and that. Like, I already know two people that I'm going to be adding this year. Mm-hmm. So, um, we'll see. Yeah, there was no, yeah, there was no baseball, so it was like, all right, well, now I it's guess Hall we'll do this season. now. <laughs> I was like, hey, ba- Hall of Fame, you want to just get this going now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll just bump A Rod and Ortiz that class up a year. We'll do that this <laughs> winter. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be really funny if Kurt Schilling gets in this year, like if he's the only one that gets in, and then he has to share uh, a Hall of Fame weekend with Derek Jeter. Yeah, I mean. Like, you know, both of them would not like that, but it'd be hilarious. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the dynamic between them would be, the the 2004 rivalry. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they'll probably just, like, take a couple, like, jabs at each other. Like, but it's hard. Jeter can't really do that at Schilling because, like, in 03, Schilling wasn't there. So, like, you can't really laugh at Schilling about beating him in 03 because you didn't. Oh, yeah. And Schilling Schilling had... He is 01 and 04. Yeah, that's that's true. He did that. Yeah, he did it in 01 as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it's that I guess that's interesting, but it's not as interesting as it would be Hetty if he like went in with A Rod or I mean A Rod's not gonna get in first year, Hell but no. like uh Bonds or Clemens. I don't know. I haven't I don't know when the next first year would be. Like maybe I think Ortiz Beltran, might get in first Beltran. year. Do you think you think Ortiz gets in first year? He po- he could possibly just based on the uh, playoff stuff. He's a I mean he's a legend. Like but he's even, also an alleged PED user because he was on the Mitchell report. That's true. Yeah, I mean if he never got I mean, obviously the Ortiz PED case is much much different from the A Rod one. And I think A-Rod is such a different case, so I really don't know. I've been thinking for four years what I'm what I would do with A-Rod, but and I still have no idea if I'm going to vote for him or not next year. Yeah. Every, yeah. Everything's different. Everything's uh yeah, every everything's a different case. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh yeah, that's that's Hall of Fame season. So I guess I we should Beltran's, talk about I think by the way, just to answer my own question, I think Beltron would be the next first year. Hall of Famer. Um, yeah, I get. He retired after 2017. He had about 70 wins above replacement on Baseball Reference. Um, I, I mean, I think he deserves to be in. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah, the one thing that would be held over his head is his involvement with the Astros scandal, and maybe mm-hmm. there'll be more information out about that uh, when his time comes. But we'll see. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's the one that's the one thing that makes it difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, Beltron around seventy wins above replacement. Yeah, uh, a very good postseason me- resume, so it would make sense if he got in first ballot. So, uh, outside of Hall of Fame, one of our one of our favorite you know times of the year is also awards. We did a full awards breakdown. Uh, in last week's news episode and uh, they eventually got announced um, and 
did we did we pick all the same uh i think we picked all the I same i think we right? did yeah and we got six out of eight correct yeah six out of eight and you know they my my uh picks were also my predictions i thought my picks would align with what was actually going to happen but i was wrong well, one of mine was different i said uh, i wanted devin williams but i thought they were going to give it to cronenworth oh yeah yeah um and i was wrong yeah you were wrong they uh faith restored with the uh, rookie of the year voting they did but yeah and i mean to be honest it's not as bad as it's not as egregious as i thought it was like the guy had an 033 era i mean let's let's not kid ourselves here like that's that's ridiculous. One earned run all year, and it was in his second outing of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, yeah, I guess that's where the award starts. The awards uh, start mm-hmm. is the rookie of the year vote, where uh, Kyle Lewis, Kyle Lewis wins AL rookie of the year. Uh, I think he got what twenty first place votes. Yeah. Um. That. Pretty pretty handily. There was uh, somewhat of a case for Luis Robert, but. You know, we both picked Kyle Lewis and Kyle Lewis was the correct pick. Yeah, he was the correct pick. Um, I guess we had, yeah, we have all the uh, baseball references, yeah, oh no, all the Chris, voting results. Chris, Kyle Lewis got all 31st place votes. Oh, dang. It was unanimous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at it now. Unanimous. I mean, yeah. I guess it makes sense. We both picked him. So, and then uh, NL rookie, there was NL rookie of the year was a lot closer. And the runner-up was actually Alec Bohm uh, with nine first-place votes. It was a tie. Um, oh, in first-place votes, yeah, but overall voting, it was a tie between oh, yeah. Alec Bohm and Jake Cronenworth. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad what Alec Bohm did. By the way, uh, Key Brian Hayes, Ian Anderson, uh, I think Sixto Sanchez as well, uh, all of them ha- are have rookie eligibility next year, so they can get rookie of the year votes this year and then possibly win it next year. Yeah. I'm surprised. Uh, I guess I'm a little surprised Sixto Sanchez got only one vote point at all. I mean, so did Ian Anderson and friggin' someone voted. Who, I just want to know who voted for Andres Jimenez. Who did it? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Come but, on. What are we doing here? I didn't realize uh, Anderson only had seven less innings than uh, Sanchez. So I guess yeah. he's ahead. I mean, Luckily, luckily, that's not the most ridiculous vote of the entire uh, award process. Oh, the yeah, yeah, we'll get <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get, get into, into that, that when we when we get there. And uh, uh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, Chris. Yeah, there's a nice article written about that explaining mm-hmm. that. That was pretty hilarious. Um, yeah, okay, I'm pretty. Let me let find out who voted for Jimenez. It was uh, it was a New York writer. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yep uh anderson got one vote it was from jack mccaffrey from philly so thank you to him for getting my guy out there um yeah i mean a lot of people this vote was definitely a little more diverse uh williams ultimately was the pick but like you know balm got did get some first place votes cronenworth got plenty of them even tony gonsolin got a first place vote in this one um so i mean it was very diverse there were a lot of good rookies this year in the national league that were deserving and luckily some of them we get to see we get to see have another chance yeah it, that is uh that is true and yeah there it was a good yeah i agree definitely a good rookie class there were guys that were lower on the list that 
had very good performances like Ian Anderson, Sixto mm-hmm. Sanchez, Key Brian Hayes, Dustin May, even Dustin May. Dustin May was kind of a, a favorite heading into this, one of the favorites heading into the season. And he got in fifth place and he didn't even really disappoint. He had a 257 ERA. So it was a good class of rookies, especially from the from the National League. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, they did their, you know, Devin Williams obviously is the is the rightful owner of that rookie of the year of the trophy. Uh, you're probably never going to see a season like that again. And you really only saw that season because of COVID, you know, in, in a, in a longer season, you know, that ERA probably does even out a bit more. Um, but regardless, like an incredible year by Devin Williams. I'm really excited to see if he can keep it going, going forward. And uh, do you have anything other points you want to make or do you want to move on? No, I think, uh, I think they made the right choices there. So and then the next night, we get announced that uh, Kevin Cash and Don Mattingly win Manager of the Year. So definitely got it right with American League Manager of the Year with Kevin Cash. And then we both had Jace Tingler, but you can't really get mad at a Don I can Mattingly know. pick. Uh, Don Mattingly played for a team that just had to scramble to get a team on the field. Um, like the, that was their biggest priority for a reasonably long, large period of the season wasn't winning. It was just, can we field a team period? And, you know, with all that being said, Manningly was able to a field that team and B put a good product on the field of product that won 31 and 29 and made the playoffs for the first time since 2003. Uh, this is a team that everybody, myself included, wrote off at the beginning of the season. And I mean, at the beginning of the season, I can tell you that's rightfully so. Like, I had them winning the Kumar Rocker sweepstakes. I had them getting the number one pick in the draft this year. So the Marlins, they obviously came out of nowhere. And, yeah, Don Mattingly, you know, despite Jace Tingler coming in as a first-year manager and bringing a last-place team from the previous season to to the second-best record in the NL, Don Mattingly had to go through so much more than Jace Tingler did. And I'm glad that he got the the manager of the year, even though I, I voted for someone else. Yeah, storyline-wise, story Matt Inley definitely gets it. Absolutely. Um, like, in terms of who was the better manager this year, it's hard to it's hard to gauge, you know, we're big statistics guys. There's no real statistics to mm-hmm. uh, go, with, go, with, go with that. It's um, manager of the year is a lot of feel. And they, and they don't even, at times, they don't even give it to the best manager. Like, a lot of the time, it's just, who had, you know, who had the bad team that did good this year? Yeah. That's think a the, lot of the, yeah. Yeah. And I think in the AL, they gave it to the best manager. It wasn't necessarily a, a comeback story. Like the Rays. But that wasn't 90. really like a comeback story. That was enough. Yeah. To the, and, I, and I mean, the, the Rays even outperformed expectations and we'll get to them later. Um, I do have a couple more points I want to make about NL manager of the year. Yep. Um. Byron Kerr of MassInSports.com, a Washington writer. I have several questions on why you gave Craig Council a first place vote on your ballot. Like I am trying to picture everything possible. I do not understand. This is a guy who had, I mean, I guess to his credit, he didn't really have much depth. However, his team wasn't good. They finished under 500. Yes, they did still make the playoffs, but they would have in no way 
been there in an expanded playoff format. His best player was one of the worst hitters in the league. Uh, what did Craig Council do to deserve a first place vote this year? Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I think he should have won in, in 2018, but, and, and, you know, we know he's a good manager, but, but now is not the year. No, 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 no. I mean, I guess, I guess the argument you could say is Yelich being bad made it more of a challenge for him to make the playoffs, but I, I can't really reward anyone for going 29 and 31, unless you're like, I mean, I know Mattingly went 31 and 29, but they were expected to be like a 15, 16 win team. You know, something interesting, the one guy who gave David Ross a first place vote was a Miami writer. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I I don't know. It's pretty wild. Yeah, that was that was an interesting. It was an interesting race um, because of the different storylines. Tingler, you know, we'll see. Tingler will probably have, you know, more postseasons in his future where he can kind of uh, show his manager skills and see see where he is as a manager. But you know, manager of the year is a is a hard one to gauge. So can't yeah. complain too much too much about Don Mattingly getting the NL manager of the year. He had the most interesting team story for sure, at least of teams to make the playoffs. And then the next night, my birthday. Well, same night, same night, but we uh, didn't talk about AL. No, I'm talking about the Cy Young vote. But we, we didn't talk about AL manager of the year. I mean, we talked about it a little bit. I think we should get more into it though. Yeah. Um, Kevin Cash of the Tampa Bay Rays was the manager of the year. Uh, this was a no-brainer. Uh, you can say whatever you want about the decision in game in Game Six to pull Blake Snell, and we've talked about that before. Uh, but obviously, that couldn't be taken into consideration because this is a this is an award that's voted on at the conclusion of the regular season. Um, you know, this team was expect, and I know you had something different, Chris, but. The, the, expe- the expectation of this team was to play second fiddle to the Yankees and then maybe dethrone them in the postseason. Uh, the Rays completely undressed the Yankees all season and then dismissed them in the postseason. Uh, and Kevin Cash made that happen with a team that on paper wasn't as talented as the Yankees, but just through like, you know, statistics and, and probabilities was able to find a way to beat them. Yes. You know, Cash is a guy to be trusted and, you know, he, you know, he should have, he's with this, he definitely earned manager of the year. We talked about it. He was a finalist in 2018 and 2019. And we kind of knew that he would eventually get one of these awards. And this is a great year to get it. And he got it. And I mean, like, yeah, he didn't have, didn't have Charlie Morton the whole year. And Morton wasn't really that effective. Uh, I think he did well with like during the regular season, he found that Blake Snell was definitely not as effective his third time through and in fact significantly less effective so Mm -hmm. he put like an innings limit on Snell like if you look at Snell uh he didn't have very many innings per start and that was kind of a good move on his part letting the bullpen work that out that was a move that you know you kind of notice he used he used the most pinch hitters in the American League and uh they had a 101 weighted runs created plus so above average you could say 
and you know we know we know that he's a a chess player in terms of baseball and you know he finally gets kind of nationally noticed for that he does uh how funny would it have been if rick renteria won this it would have been the most hilarious thing ever especially for the guy they re they hired in his place um yeah by the way tony la russa the uh the white Sox new manager uh got a second dui charge in february and because of covid they couldn't press charges so they literally charged him the day before he was hired by the white Sox, and the white Sox knew that this was coming before they hired him and they're like no i'm not a problem we'll take a 76 year old man who has a second dor charge a history of racial slurs and no managerial experience in the last 10 years when the game has changed drastically on this fun young team that that doesn't really care what people think about them i'm sure that'll be fine yeah i mean the only funnier thing that can happen is like the white Sox have the best record in the american league and they like win the world series (laughs) despite this situation yeah well you know like free agents have like openly said like they they wouldn't go to chicago because of this yeah didn't Strowman say that or, or yeah. something like that? Strowman did say that. Like, he wouldn't go to Chicago under La Russa. Yeah, it's going to be a weird situation. Um, sure it'll be fun to cover. All right. Did I say Did I say the White Sox go 42-18? and 18 at, They're not going to play 60 games next year. Uh, I, I had them going 31-29 and 29 at the beginning of the season. Because I no, I meant, I meant next year. Next I year, I... I Maybe that was in my head, but I don't know if I said it out loud. But in my head, I was thinking like, next year. What if they go like forty-two and eighteen next year? They're not going to do that because they're going to play one hundred sixty-two games. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that is kind of funny. Um, I'm too wrapped up in the sixty-game season. Yeah, I don't have anything else on uh, on AL Manager of the Year. Yeah, me neither. So we'll get into the Cy Young Awards. There was one where. You know, it was a slam dunk, no doubt about it. There was another where it was debated. Um, some people disagreed with the results. Uh, we'll start with American League. I guess we've we've been documenting Shane Bieber's season kind of all year. Yeah. And how spectacular it was, and how no one could, you know, possibly come close to that in the American League. Do, do, mean, we want to talk, do we want to give one last little send-off for Shane Bieber's 2020 season? I mean, Shane Bieber was the best pitcher in baseball from the first pitch on opening day because we literally talked about his opening day. One of our how about that's was Shane Bieber's opening day start at the beginning of the season, and he was straight up the best pitcher in baseball the whole way through the season. Every single time he got on the mound, he was the best pitcher in baseball. Uh, this was an absolute slam dunk. If it wasn't unanimous, it would be an absolute crime. And lo and behold, he won it unanimously. Um, I mean, there's not much to say here other than the, they made the right choice. Um, you know, everyone else is just fighting for second. So congratulations to Kenta Maeda on his fantastic season uh, that he kind of broke out with. Shout out to the one Texas writer that gave Lance Lynn a second place vote. Uh, yeah. Shout out to him. Maybe... Maybe he fell asleep on like August 15th when Lance yeah. Lynn was doing his thing. Yeah. It literally yeah. was, it literally was, by the way. It was uh Leave Levy Weaver from the Athletic who gave um Lance Lynn a second place vote. Nice. 
I guess. The battle went Bieber, Lin, Cole, Ryu, Maeda. Interesting. Very interesting. Yes. But yeah, Shane Bieber wins it. And then, yeah, I guess the uh, the finalists were kind of debated about. Uh, yeah. Maybe. But, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it. I, yeah, no I'm fine. Really no one really remembers the, the finalists. Um, yeah, me neither. And, I mean, Kenta Maeda had a very good season no matter what, so. Yeah, and Hyunjin Ryu uh, played in a very tough American League East, put up a 269 ERA. 164 era plus um that's a guy that's a guy i like and you know garrett cole just you know fourth place dallas keichel had a somewhat lucky season according to baseball savant finished fifth in the cy young so there there's your top five on to the national league uh trevor bauer gets 27 first place votes and uh wins the cy young one of the most surprising things for me on this ballot is that Bauer, Darvish, and DeGrom were everyone's top three in no particular order. Nobody, nobody snuck like Denelson Lamed in third or Max Fried in third. Like every single person's ballot was Bauer, Darvish, DeGrom in some order. Yep. So that was cool to see. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot, there's cases to be made for any of these three candidates. Um, I've seen a lot of people saying it should have been DeGrom because of his peripherals and because of his strikeout numbers. Uh, and I get that, but I don't think that run run prevention should just be discredited based on what Trevor Bauer actually did rather than what, you know, his FIP and his SIERA said that he would have done. Um, that still is a part of the game. And I think that that should stay, um, you know, and we talked a lot about like batting average should be done away with and RBI should be done away with, but I can get behind that. But I think run prevention, like ERA, WHIP, like stuff like that, should still be taken into consideration. ERA plus. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, mm-hmm. for sure. Call me old school, but I like <laughs> ERA. By the way, did you see that commercial that Adidas put out today? I did. That was fantastic. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. That was everything. Like that was that's the people we make fun of on a daily basis, right there. Yeah. And by the way, by the way, anyone that wants to say, and this back to the NL Cy Young, anyone who wants to talk about Trevor Bauer's, Trevor Bauer's peripherals, um, just go to baseballsavant.com, baseballsavant.mlb.com. So, you know, FIP, we talk about FIP is like, this is kind of the ERA when it all evens out. But like expected ERA, I've been preaching expected ERA the whole year um, and how it like, if you if you this counts expected ERA it counts everything in between home runs, uh, strikeouts and walks. It count it it factors in, you know the ground balls, the the hard hit fly balls that end up being outs. So Trevor Bauer had a two one seven expected ERA, and that was in the 99th percentile in all of baseball. So if you want to talk about peripherals, there it is. There's your peripherals. Yeah, that's right, right there. Baseballsavant.com. It's I'm glad we have these things. So he, it was better. His, his peripherals, I believe were better than both in terms of expected ERA, but better than both DeGrom and uh, Darvish. Darvish. So I don't get, yeah, that's the thing that bothers me a bit about FIP, especially now is we have all the data of, yeah. and we My have favorite. these things that factor in, you know, I think that's balls. why, 
I think that's why people look less towards FIP and more towards something like SIERA. Um, because that that does sort of add in like the strikeouts and the home runs and the and the walk stuff like that. Uh, the only thing it doesn't really have is the stat cast data that expected ERA ha- has. Uh, and yeah. DeGrom was the leader in SIERA as well. Yeah, but SIERA, I have a bit of a, a, an issue with too, because they value, they're, they're big on ground balls, I'm pretty sure, right? Like mm-hmm. if you have a high ground ball percentage, that leads to, that equates to a good SIERA. But that's not necessarily a big thing either. I mean, you want to avoid line drives, but getting a fly ball out is valuable too. I mean, you look at the ground ball rates of like, Max Scherzer or Garrett Cole, they work up in the zone, they get, you know, soft contact in the air. So that I always look to um, baseball savant for, for that stuff. Cause also if you look at SIERA, that's very, it's usually very similar to a guy's FIP. It doesn't really alter that much. So I don't really go for so, that well, either. I mean, well, Dallas Keuchel had a four, five, seven SIERA and he's like the ground, he's a ground ball machine. So um yeah i don't i mean i don't think it always factors in ground balls as much but like i just i just remember reading their description maybe it's changed but um i don't know i it it rarely like there's rarely that much of a difference between the siera and the fip Mm -hmm. so i just kind of just disregard it yeah there's also like era minus fit minus x fit minus which is like i believe uh league adjusted yeah well ultimately it's about it's about getting wins and putting your team in a position to that's win the right game. i mean that's why jacob de should never have won a cy young i mean he only has 25 wins between 2018 and 2020 it's an absolute disgrace the guy can't the guy can't win games it's as simple as that no I one mean, wants- we're looking at we're talking about trevor bauer and you darvish I'm looking at Trevor Bauer's record. It's five and four. He shouldn't even be on this stupid. No, list. he barely, he almost lost more than he won. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you got you Darvish. You Darvish went eight and three. That's a Cy Young winner. That's a Cy Young winner. Okay. Either him or Max Fried. Max Fried was undefeated, won seven in a row. <laughs> That's so. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, yeah, you're right. We, we, say, we talk about all this expected ERA and this SI ERA, but really it's just about who wins you the game because that's yeah. what you do. Yeah, you know, the, the team with the best ERA doesn't win the World Series. The team with the most wins. We all know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never I never saw someone's SI ERA help win a World Series. Se- you, know, you know what? You know <laughs> You know what Christy Mathewson wasn't worried about? <laughs> S-I-E-R-A. He was worried about winning the ball game. He didn't even know what that was. He couldn't even spell it. Yeah. <laughs> he was illiterate. Probably. Yeah. Just like Shoeless Joe Jackson. Do you think Christy Mathewson is illiterate? Uh, no, but, you know, for the, for, the par- for the parody of it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it could have been. It's pot. You could function in the early 1900s without the ability to read. Yeah, I think it's been. I mean, you could definitely hard. pitch without it too. For sure. All you got to know is is what number he's putting down, which is probably a one. They didn't even have. They didn't even have like catcher signs. It was just throw the ball. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Chrissy Matheson's from Pennsylvania. Yeah, you know he, he could probably read. He was from a fairly educated part of the U.S. in the late 1800s. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's Quaker territory. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. 
I think the Amish Amish still read. So, did anyone ever tell Christy Matthewson about his one two nine FIP in his nineteen oh eight season? Um, no, he never. <laughs> no one ever got to him about that. What What was his ERA that year? One forty three. So no one was telling him that he was unlucky. No, that's unfortunate. I mean, he lost eleven games. What? <laughs> he uh, he lost eleven games. But he also won 37 games, so it's pretty oh, good. 37 and 11, yeah. <laughs> That's not bad. What year was that? Oh, wait. 1908. Yeah. Um, I wonder what him and Hannes Wagner's matchups were like. I was just looking at if they were in the same division as, as Hannes Wagner. Well, I mean, National yeah, League. They were in the National League. Uh, do we have Hannes Wagner's splits from that year? Um, all right, you know what? We're gonna take a break from these awards. And they, gonna... uh, they finished tied with Pittsburgh that year. So and we're gonna uh, take a look at. Do uh, we have? Do we have Hannes Wagner splits? Right. I'm going. Uh, Christy Matthewson. <clears throat> so this is, you know, this could be a lesson for the uh, anyone anyone trying to find some versus batter splits. So I'm at Christy Matthewson's. Um, Baseball reference page, finders and advanced stats versus batter. And uh, then we got to break it down to just 1908. I don't think, I don't think. Uh, actually, no, they don't have those. I don't think they did. Yeah. They do have splits though. So I was at least able to find Hannes Wagner in his incredible 1908 season, possibly the, probably the best season for a shortstop of all time. Yeah. Uh, this man against the New York Giants, he played 22 games against them, had 94 plate appearances and had a, Ever so loving slash line of 333, 376, 563, 940. So, I mean, he did what he needed to do against the Giants. Wasn't his best team. Uh, he absolutely destroyed the Boston Doves. Uh, in 22 games and 96 plate appearances, he's, he slashed 400, 440, 671, 11, 10. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And an 11, 10 OPS back then was like a 270 <laughs> OPS plus. It literally was. Well, he had, he had, he had a sub uh, 1,000 OPS that season, and he still had a 206 OPS plus, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, 206 or, or 205. Yeah, well, that was that was like the peak of the dead ball era. The the league OPS, I remember because of the history episode, the league OPS that year was 602. Yeah. It, it was, well, it was insane. It was hilarious, yeah. Yeah. By the way, he was awful in March and April. Uh, he played eight games, had 33 plate appearances, and uh, had a 581 OPS. It's literally below average. Yeah. Uh, wait, who are you talking about? Hannes what? Honest Wagner in 1908. Oh, against who? Just in general. Oh, wait. Wait, what are you? 1908... March and April. Oh, March and April. Okay. Yeah. I missed I missed that part. But yeah. Okay. Uh so that's the National League Cy Young Award um thing. Trevor Bauer. <laughs> yeah, the, so anyway, we were talking about Hannes Wagner. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I that's what I have to say about peripherals is that's that's yeah. what I love about by the way. Uh I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say this now. Uh at the end of this show, we're going to bring back the baseball reference front page segment. Yes. Uh, I just thought of it now, and uh, it's going to happen. Yeah, we'll do that. You know, it can it can only lead to more 
you know, because now we're kind of we're good on baseball history based on what we've done for the podcast. Yeah, so like, now we can talk about pap orders for twenty minutes. Yeah, exactly. But it's really just what you, I mean. Who would ever? Who could ever not want to do that? Really? Yeah, and it won't be it won't be organized like the like the history episodes, but it'll be a nice five to ten minutes on on a certain player. Yep. We'll we'll get into that later. But yeah, Trevor Bauer, <laughs> uh, peripherally, according to Statcast, he did he did just fine. I should I should go back to Savant, look at more stats on him. But yeah, he did give up a good amount of homers for a guy who won the Cy Young. However, um, and he didn't necessarily he wasn't like preventing walks a crazy amount, although it was below, I think, three walks per nine. But like, yeah, let's see. Uh, hard hit percentage wasn't great, but like X Woba, 99th percentile, expected ERA, 99th percentile, expected batting average, 97th, expected slugging, 93%. So, I mean, you know, he put himself in a good position usually. 217 expected ERA and 15, 15.8% pop-up percentage. That's a big deal wow. because the MLB average for pop-up percentage is 7.1. So that's it's double the average. He had double the average for pop-up percentage. Um, pretty big deal. And fly ball percentage, 26.5%. That doesn't include line drives. Um, that was above the average and his line drive percentage was below average. So I, I think I think Trevor Bauer cut it for for Cy Young. Yeah, I think the only question was the competition in the Central, which I broke down last week. I think it outdoes whatever Degrom did in the National League East. Also, Degrom yeah. missed one of his starts, which I think was much more key than, than a lot of people would consider. And Bauer, like Bauer, m- missed a start too, but he made up for it in innings. He had uh, seventy three innings. Well, Bauer, like you know, he wants to pitch every fourth day, right? That's true. He wants it in his contract. Yeah, he wants. Really funny. I'm telling you, it'd be so funny if he signs with the Angels, so they have Bauer going every fourth day, and then Hotani going every Sunday. Yeah, that's gonna be, that's gonna be a real wild, wild ride. Yep. Um, and what what was the last thing I was gonna say? Um. Yeah, yeah, Bauer, he had 73 innings and 11 starts. I think Degrom had. 68 in like 12 starts mm-hmm. bauer had almost seven innings per start which i don't think anyone was really that close to him so he kind of carried them in whatever game he was going to pitch yeah um and he, yeah i think he had like 10 quality starts or something like that but yeah and now to uh mvp there is one slam dunk uh there's one slam dunk candidate or well, there, there, there were two race. slam dunk candidates, but not all of them got it. Um, there's, yeah, there was one, one slam dunk. Uh, one, one guy who won it that you know definitely should have won it, and then there was a, there was one that was kind of hotly contested. Um, should we get? I guess we'll get into NL MVP first, although he didn't win unanimously. Uh, Freddie Freeman wins the MVP, wins his first career Most Valuable Player award. That's right, Freddie Freeman. Uh, I'm happy for him. 
I think everyone in baseball is like, and I know that that's, you know, I'm not saying we voted for him because we were happy for him and he's a great guy. He deserved it. Like he was the rightful owner of that MVP trophy. Um, that nobody else deserved it more than he did. He got 28 first place votes and also shout out to Bob Nightingale for being one of the two people who to vote Mookie Betts first uh, because that is, that's a, that's a Bob Nightingale thing to do. Yep. Luckily, luckily, Bob Nightingale is off the hook because his first place vote for Mookie Betts was not the main story. Uh, do you want to get into this, Chris? Oh, yeah. Not a first place vote, but an MVP vote. Um, went to, uh, you know, of course, on the Cubs, you've got, you know, you've got guys who were deserving of the award. You got the Chicago Cubs. They made it first place this year. So you're thinking, you know, you got you got you yeah. Darvish in there. You know, he was great. He was good enough to get MVP votes. You got Ian Happ on there, 866 OPS this year. Um, you know, he really broke out uh, in 2020. And, of course, you got Ryan Tapera, uh, who, you know, had a 392 ERA in 20 and two-thirds innings pitched as a reliever. <laughs> uh, Ryan Tapera, he's lucky he wasn't awful this year because – this is the most absurd, you know, we always joke about Kevin Pillar getting a first, getting an MVP vote last year. This is on another, another level because yeah. he quite literally wasn't supposed to get this vote. There was a St. Louis writer uh, who straight up misclicked. He straight up clicked the wrong button. He meant to put Trey Turner for his 10th place vote, but instead he picked Ryan Tapera because he was the next guy alphabetically. Uh, didn't double check his ballot at all and submitted it with Ryan Tapera having an MVP vote. Yeah. And that's, and that's why, you know, that's why, that's why we have to have fairness in our, uh, in our voting systems, you know, this is what, this is what people have been talking about in terms of our voting systems. Are they trustworthy? And apparently not. No, I mean, to be fair, um, Tapera was honestly one of the more underrated relievers in the national league this year. Uh, his K percentage is in the 94th percentile. Uh, his whiff percentage and ex, uh, and his whiff percentage was in the 99th percentile. His expected slugging was in the 89th percentile. So there were, he was very good this year. Uh, of course, it's not MVP vote worthy, but you know, like he didn't have a bad season by any by any means. Um, yeah, no, it's the just fact that it's... he got an MVP vote is is just insane. I hope this becomes like another joke because a lot of people I saw someone today that put out like a mock hall of fame ballot, but then they stuck the name to para in there. <laughs> like I'm going to go with bonds, Clemens, Schilling, Roland to para. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hilarious. It's hilarious that. Um, Sorry. I meant to type Sheffield. He's going to. Yeah. He's going to uh, just come in as a reliever next year as a guy who received MV- MVP votes. Like the the guys the relievers who received MVP votes this year were Tapera, Devin Williams, Devin Williams, and Liam Hendricks. Or wait, no, that was Cy Young vote. Um, and yeah, we, votes. Liam Hendricks didn't even get on the MVP vote. It was it's him and literally Williams. just Devin Williams and Ryan Tapera. Yeah, <laughs> they both got one ten place vote. Yeah. By the way, at least it was a tenth place vote too. Imagine if he accidentally gave him like a fifth place vote. Yeah, and like yeah, also, took a... I can't. I don't have access to this right now, but I would like to know the one person that I put Fernando Tatis Jr. as their tenth place vote. Um, 
yeah, that's. I want to hear the logic. Yeah, I mean, I guess there there was a deep, like, class in terms of like guys you could put there, but Tatis was Tatis was top five. Yeah, you, yeah. Um, I thought Juan Soto should have gotten more consideration for it, but the time he missed, uh, kind of messed him up a little there. Um, the guy had a 200 OPS plus, a 490 on base percentage, uh, and a, I believe a 1200 OPS. Um, I mean, he ended up getting fifth in the in the vote, and he ended up getting 10 fifth place votes, and also uh, three second place votes. Um, I probably would have given him a second place vote, honestly. Yeah, I would have, I would have put him, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I I might have put him ahead of Machado. I think I might. I probably would have put Betts ahead of him. Um, I'm not sure. Fifth place. Um, I I mean, like, and I mentioned this. He he accumulated like 75 percent of the plate appearances that Freeman did, um, and like pretty much everyone else but i mean i guess bets missed five games um so that's not as big of a deal machado played all 60 uh tatis jr played 59 it's really a it's really semantics and like how much do you value the 13 games that he missed um i mean in terms of performance overall it's not like perform- he's on a good team anyway it's yeah not, yeah no, i know we try and discredit that but like you know with the time he missed it's not helping his cause that he was also on a last place team. Yeah. And in terms of like game for game performance, um, you know, outside of guys who played like just five games or whatever, he probably was the best. Um, But Mm -hmm. it's tough. It's tough when you miss basically equivalent to a quarter of the season, almost at least 20% of the season. He had an 1185 OPS. It's yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, so I guess we're gonna move on now. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the awards went in tons well, no, of different directions. Uh, some more. Yeah. What? Do we go in depth on AL MVP or do we want to? Oh yeah. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't uh, know. I thought by moved on, I thought you meant. Uh... But yeah, I forgot we didn't do the American League MVP. It um, threw me off. Before, okay, before I before I get into this. I would just like to say that I'm happy for Jose Abreu. Uh, he is a very, very touching story of how he had to defect from Cuba, uh, some of the struggles that he had to go through and some of the, the adversity that he had to face on that journey. Uh, he obviously came over, immediately made an impact on the White Sox, one rookie of the year, and you know stuck it out through the bad years. And you know he ended up... St- Signing a signing an extension with the team, which the fans weren't happy with because he was blocking a prospect. And Chris, I remember we defended this. We were like, no, like Abreu should be in there. Like he's a he's a, a staple on that team. And you know, if Andrew Vaughn comes up and he does better, you move him somewhere else. And yeah. with that being said, I'm happy for Jose Abreu. I'm glad that he is an MVP in his trophy case. But Jose Ramirez is the rightful owner of that award. Okay. I I think, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it. Um, I don't think, I don't think it, it was far and away Jose Ramirez. Um, Jose Abreu, I think definitely had a case. Um, Abreu, he reached base in 55 of the 60 games that 
they played. He was very consistent. His OPS was within six points of Ramirez's. But I think traditional statistics was part of the reason that Abreu uh, won that award. He led the league in RBIs. Yeah, he led the league in RBI. I think he led the league in hits too. Um, yeah. You know, he hit three. He hit three seventeen. Uh, Jose Ramirez hit two ninety two. Also, I there was the the one caveat though is that he did lead uh, the major or the American League in slugging percentage. Yeah, he did. Um, Nineteen home runs compared to Ramirez's seventeen. Um, yeah, interesting. I mean. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to gauge like what the BBWAA uh, BBWAA award like writers are valuing because I mean remember 2018 everyone was scared that Degrom wasn't going to get the Cy Young but he ended up getting like 29 first place votes out of 30. But this year it seemed to be with the AL MVP voting they seem to go kind of more a traditional route. So it's kind of hard to gauge with these uh writers um i think i i think that i mean you can honestly make the case that abreu was a better hitter than ramirez but ramirez it was such a better all-around player um abreu's defense kind of isn't nearly isn't really as sharp uh i would say um i think that's a lot of what jose ramirez's case goes into um and you know abreu obviously had a really good offensive season uh, I'm not denying that, but I think the defense and the base running and everything else goes to Ramirez by a wider margin than what Abreu had over him in offense. Yeah, that's kind of what I went with. And it was for me, it was mostly the base running. Like uh, <laughs> Jose, Jose Ramirez was part of the illustrious 10-10 club. He was. <laughs> 10 home runs, 10 stolen bases. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's kind of it. That, that gets you an MVP uh, in my book. But yeah, um, I think in terms of defense, though, at least according to StatCast, uh, Jose Abreu was not bad defensively. I think he had, I'm trying to look here, Jose Abreu had two outs above average, and uh, Ramirez Jose Ramirez, I believe, had one out yeah, above average. It, although it, like, it, that's... But also, like, I think the defensive positioning is it, is that taken into account for outs above average? I'm not like playing. I'm not sure, it's hard to gauge. I mean, I still probably give the advantage to Ramirez because he does play a harder position as well. Yeah, objective base. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying to play Devil's Advocate. I mean, don't I forget in... that. Don't forget that Ron Washington said that first base is incredibly hard. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I I did say that Ramirez deserved it, but I think there was. A case for Abreu. I'm not terribly mad. I'm not as mad as Abreu. most people are, but I think that Ramirez should have won it. Yeah, me too. Um, but like, in terms of like, when I look back at the 2020 American League MVP and I see, and I'm I'm looking at Jose Abreu's baseball reference page and I see the bold at the end on the all the way to the right. I see the bold MVP dash one. Yeah, I don't think it's that tainted like uh like Terry Pendleton or not I don't know if tainted's the right word but it's not like oh that should have been like that clearly should not just be say, just say 1991 Terry Pendleton and get it over with yeah <laughs> yeah I don't see it that way or if I see you know 
Jose Ramirez MVP dash two next to his 2020. I'm like, oh, you know, he there was maybe he should have won, but yeah, I'm not. It's it was a it was a hard it was a hard award to pick. I would have picked Ramirez. Uh, the writers you would have picked Ramirez. The writers disagreed with us. Um, but you know, 60 game season over a 162 game season, Ramirez probably ultimately does better. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was hard to gauge, hard to it gauge was. this year. So that um, is uh, that's the awards recap. Yeah. So now into more accolades that all these uh, all these players can add to their list. Uh, it's the second annual all ML all MLB team. And I kind of get why there wasn't an all MLB team before this, because you have like silver sluggers and gold gloves and stuff like that that you can add to a resume. But now we have the all MLB team. Um, and which is voted on by the fans, I believe. It's voted on it's hat the 50% of the vote consideration is fans and 50% is writers, I believe. That should be how the all-star game voting works. I would agree with that. Because I am not cool with Hall of Fame vote or uh well that too, but um <laughs> all-star game voting. Well, actually, well, I would say that for when the World Series home field advantage was being decided based on that but now i don't really i don't really care. i don't really care but like when we had like the royals fans trying to get like omar infante as the starting second baseman it was like guys what are we doing uh yeah yeah stuff <laughs> it like was... that it's like that's that no now we're taking it too far yeah this is this is enough the fans have abused their powers exactly. it's time to get the adults in the room um, but yeah, I mean, we, uh, we are perfect at predicting uh, or, or judging baseball players. There is nobody better that, at it than us. Uh, so anything that we say here, that is that is final. Uh, our opinion means more than anything else. So the people that we put on our all MLB teams, they are on the all MLB teams. Uh, there is no one else that can say otherwise. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, exactly. The the if you can't tell the satire on that, but I mean, if there there might be one or two announcements that will alter with with ours but most of these are pretty clear-cut i mean i guess we'll start with um i guess we can start with catcher you know Mm -hmm. go based off of the scorebook uh numbers uh so catcher catcher i have and i'm not gonna go in too into the numbers Uh, catcher i have jt real muto just based on the whole package um like Sal- Salvador Perez had better offensive numbers, but less he played in he significantly less games. Yeah. Um, so I have JT Real Muto. Yeah, I mean, there's not much of a reason to go into the numbers. I put JT Real Muto as well. Uh, he was there to put it quite simply, he was the best catcher in baseball this year, and he just is the best catcher in baseball overall. Currently a free agent, so I'm excited to see uh, what comes of his free agency, where he decides to go. If the Phillies keep him, if he goes in division somewhere else. Uh, but with that being said, uh, JT Real Muto is my catcher on the all MLB team. Yeah. Uh, yeah. JT Real Muto, like he's one of the better defensive guys. Um, he was right up there in terms of offensive ranks. So that's why I put him ahead of guys like Austin Nola, Salvador Perez, or Yasmani Grandal. Um, he just was, was that guy as a catcher. And first base, uh, Freddie Freeman. Yep. That's who I have. Yeah. Yeah. For, first base, Freddie Freeman. 
And then we move on to second base, which is going to be DJ LeMahieu. Correct. Um, and then I guess in the scorebook, we it's uh, number five. So I guess third, third base first, or do we go shortstop first? I did I third know. base first. Uh, third base, I have uh, Jose Ramirez. I did too. Um, our, our pick for American League MVP. Mm-hmm. And shortstop, this is where I think it got interesting in terms this is where of... where I think it got interesting too. Yeah. Because I had I had two guys I was looking at fiercely uh, when it came to this, and I think there's three good candidates in uh, Tatis Jr. or maybe even four good candidates in Tatis Jr., Turner, Corey yeah. Seager, and uh, Trevor Story. Uh, ultimately, it came down to two guys for me, and ultimately, uh, between Tatis Jr. and Trey Turner, I chose Fernando Tatis Jr. Oh. Well, Chris, I happen to have chose Trey Turner for this award. Wow. Yeah. Look at us disagreeing. Trey Turner led Tatis in average OBP, slugging percentage, OPS, Woba, and weighted runs created plus, uh, and was only 0.2 off of him in war. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that, yeah, Turner outdid him um offensively especially at the plate i'm looking at i'm kind of comparing yeah they played the same oh, amount of games really no better base runner in the league than trey turner i would just like to put that out there yeah and trey turner outdid him uh on the bases but fernando tatis jr had seven outs above average and i i think they were i put them like neck and neck like right there and uh oh yeah and Tatis Jr. had a 400 batting average with runners in scoring position. Trey Turner was right up there at 378. They were pretty even, and I I, I, I gave I think, Tatis Jr. the advantage. I gave Turner the advantage just because he was no, noticeably better than him on offense and all facets. Um, yeah. So that's why I went with Trey Turner. Yeah, and Turner wasn't necessarily a negative on defense, Uh I think he had two he outs above. He was 82nd percentile of, of uh, outs above average. Yeah, he had two outs above average compared to Tatis Jr. seven. So either either way, I don't get mad at it. I was really wondering, like, is it Tatis Jr.? Is it Turner? Mm-hmm. I gave it to Tatis Jr. And also, I think his I think his ballpark adjusted statistics. The gap isn't as big um, when you compare the two. I think it's eight point differential and weighted runs created plus. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could really give it to either of them. Yeah, it is uh, once 157 to 149. Yep. Uh, but the Woba is a little bit better and bigger for Turner. It's 413 to 392. Yeah. So, uh, and then we move on to the outfield um, where it could get interesting. It's any, any combination of outfielders, although I do have, specifically left fielder center fielder right fielder for my I, I didn't do that but the three I, I chose ended up correlating with that yeah I, I didn't do it either I just correlation so I think we both we both have the same guys I think uh Juan Soto yeah Juan Soto Mike Trout Mike Trout Mookie Betts Mookie Betts yep we have the same outfield so yeah I, I mean the the list is like when when you go to the website there it's it's closed now but when you go to the website and vote on it they it's they pick any three outfielders mm-hmm. um the only bubble guy that i was considering was mike yastrzemski but uh his defensive numbers on Statcast were actually kind of bad and 
Trout's were kind of around average. So that's kind of been Trout's entire career with like the defensive metrics. It's always been like average to below average, which is weird. Like he's never won a gold glove before and he probably never will. Yeah. I mean, Trout, he was better defensively earlier in his career. I mean, he's 2012 through 2015. He was like elite defensively and then he kind of went downhill. Yeah. I mean, like he's kind of, he's still very good. He's like, yeah. objectively, like with the eye test, but the eye test also sucks. Yeah. And he, he made himself, yeah, he made himself, built himself as a power hitter. Um, like he's 230 plus pounds now. You don't see that a lot in center field very much. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the eye test of it too, is like, you don't really see a lot of 235 pound horses out in could be a, center field. Could be a guy that becomes a DH later in his career. Yeah, or just maybe a move to left eventually. Yeah, I mean, especially if Joe Adele is going to be manning center uh, for that franchise, if he can develop. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing nothing wrong with a defensive decline for Trout, but ultimately he's in both of our he's both in both of our all MLB teams. So yeah, we got uh, Soto, Trout, and Betts in both of our outfields. Uh, only one disagreement so far at the shortstop position. Yeah. And on to our uh, starting pitchers. I don't. I don't whoa, really... whoa, 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 DH. DH, DH. Yeah. I forgot. We were doing too much dead ball era talk. I forgot that the DH existed. Um, yeah, the DH. Uh, I put. Or wait, what? Who did I put for DH? Um, oh yeah, Marcelo Zuna. I put two. Yeah. 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 Marcelo Zuna was the best DH this year. Shout out to the National League in implementing that this year. Debated for next year, oddly enough. They do. I hope they and do. And then uh, on to starting pitchers, um, where I don't know if I I can think of the order in my head, but. I, I didn't do it in any particular order. Yeah. I kind of threw five guys out there. Um, Shane Bieber's the first guy you got to put down. Of course. Um, then I would put Trevor Bauer next. Mm-hmm. I didn't put him next, but I kind of just put it in random order. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I didn't put him in in any order particularly, but just in my head, I'm going through. Then I got Darvish. Um, do you have Darvish? I do. Uh, then I also have Jacob Degrom. Yep. And my last one, which is kind of the more uh, wild card guy that could be contested, but I put him Can in. I guess. I think I know who it is. Um, I, I don't think it's that. I think it's a pretty. I mean, standard. it's not. I mean, okay. I feel like there could be a difference here. Yeah. Um, what's What's your fifth is, guy? Is this a particular? How about that of yours? Um, no, I don't. Okay, think never so. mind. I, I was thinking maybe Max Fried. No, no, I put in. Uh, I put in Denelson Lamette. I, I, I did too. Yeah. yeah. He was. He was just. You know, he outdid everyone in the American League, mm-hmm. um, and he finished fourth in the Cy Young. So the voters agree with us. But yeah, I think he was the he was a top five pitcher in baseball this year. And uh, just to finish it off, I'll finish it off here for relievers. Uh, I mean, I kind of just took the chalk picks. You know, uh, Devin Williams and Ryan Tapera, uh, the two the two <laughs> MVP vote getters. <laughs> no, 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 no. I put. Uh, I mean, I put Devin Williams and Liam Hendricks. That's the correct answer. Yeah, I did. I did as well. So yeah, ultimately one disagreement from us. Yeah. Ultimately. Before the show, I said over under one and a half. So the under hit. Yeah. For anyone. 
if, if I would have predicted that, if, if I knew there was going to be one disagreement and I had to predict it, I would have said shortstop. Yeah, that's because that, I mean, that was where the, you know, the mind seesaw was going for me. Mm-hmm. I had really no idea who I was going to pick. Um, yeah. And yeah, like, and also like the whole year, the whole year, everyone was talking about Tatis, Tatis, but Turner ultimately was better offensively. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of threw every, threw a wrench into that situation. Yep. So there's the all MLB team. That's which, that, you know, uh, outside of one difference, that's who should be the all MLB uh, guys. Yep. According to us, shortstop. We'll see who wins shortstop. I would guess, I would guess Tatis wins it. I think it. Tatis will win the fan vote for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I think, honestly, he probably wins the writer vote too. I think Tatis wins it. Uh, but my opinion says Turner. Yeah. And it's not always like if that's the agreement, then so be it. The popular answer always isn't always the right answer. No. See, uh, see Omar Vizquel's Hall of Fame voting last year. Yeah. It was above 50%, right? No problem. It's 52%. It's not wow. okay. That's an issue. He's... Only 48% of baseball writers like, know what they're doing. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, the Hall of Fame vote. I mean, like, half of those guys don't even really write about baseball. It's weird. Oh, like, <laughs> half, three quarters of those people, no one even knows who they are. Yeah, I exactly. Still, I still have not forgiven or forgotten Anthony Reber. Yep, definitely not. <laughs> absolute trash who he he uh for for context this guy dropped barry bonds roger clemens larry walker in his last year i think this killed too but we won't talk about that uh and i think there was one other may have been manny may have been held and something like that either way he dropped like five or six people from his ballot so he could exclusively make a jeter only ballot because he wanted jeter to be the only one up there on that stage even though there was another election where someone would have been put put in and even if he was the only one to get into the bbwaa which he wasn't he wouldn't have been the only guy up there he was going to be there with ted simmons and he would he's going to be there with the family of marvin miller obviously it's going to be more people now but we wouldn't have known that back then but regardless uh an abomination of a ballot if i've ever seen one yeah i mean like the whole we we talked about it all all last offseason. The whole Derek Derek Jeter situation is just hilarious. Like he wasn't even like the best. Like we would say, probably not the best guy on the ballot. No, he was not even. He's not even the best guy that got in. Yeah, like it's like in terms of wins above replacement. Yeah, not even the best guy. And even just offensive production as a whole. Like Larry Walker was better as a whole. Yeah, we talked. Yeah. Larry Walker had a better road OPS than Jeter yep. had OPS yep. by a significant margin too. Yes. It was like 30, 40 points. Yeah. Like, uh, I think. Walker's, I think it was like an 840 OPS and Jeter's is eight. It's I think you, I think Walker's was like 865. Yeah. Hold on. Cause I, I, I can tell you off the top of my head that Derek Jeter had an 817 career OPS. Larry yep. Walker's road OPS because everyone wants to talk about cores, even though he only played, I mean, he played 10 years in Colorado, but still less than half of his career games are at Coors Field. He had a 965 career OPS, which is light years ahead of where Jeter was. Um, So with that being said, Larry Walker's career road OPS 
was literally 865, like you said, on the dot. Yeah. I just I just remembered that. Yeah. It's um, and crazy. I mean, record is home OPS was 1068. <laughs> Not bad. Yeah, pretty pretty good. Like even if you're at Coors, like that's pretty wild to have a you're 1068 doing, yeah. OPS. Doing what he's supposed to be doing. What do you want from him? You're doing more that, than what you're supposed to be doing for sure. Exactly. Um, but yeah, the that's our all MLB team. Um, <laughs> that's that's our little rant on on Hall of Fame writers. Yeah. Uh, some last couple headlines of news. This one definitely smaller than the uh, last one we'll get to. Uh, Kevin Gossman and Marcus Stroman both accepting qualifying offers, which I kind of get because you don't really know what the free agent market's yeah. going to look like. Uh, the the qualifying offer is eighteen million dollars over one year. Uh, which is a pretty good average annual value, if we're being honest. Uh, yeah. The caveat is that it's only for one year. Um, Gosman, I don't think I'm too surprised with. Um, he, I, he's always been such an under-the-radar guy that has potential. And I think last year was one of his better seasons with San Francisco. Uh, so I'm glad to see him getting uh, some good money. Uh, last year, a 3.62 ERA with an even better FIP of 3.09. Uh Sadly, he un- he was unqualified with 59 and two-thirds innings pitched. Um, yep. So that stinks. But um, <laughs> he, only made, he only made 10 starts. Uh, actually made two relief appearances during the year. Um, yeah. Almost 12 11, strikeouts 11, per nine. 11.9 strikeouts per nine. Really, really good. Uh, this was, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say, albeit the shortened season, but this is probably the best season of Kevin Gosman's career. Yeah, it's true. And um, – yeah, I mean, if he can have two consecutive good seasons like that, he can make some bank on the uh, on the free agent market in 2022, even even if he's looked at as more of a number two guy. I mean, he's 29 years old right now. Um, and, yeah, I mean, uh, peripherally, yeah, very good. Expected ERA, 3-4-9, very good year. And he's getting $18 million this year. And, I, I yeah, I don't, you know – I think it's appropriate that he accepted the qualifying offer. See what free agents like, you know, a year after this. Yeah, he can figure. I mean, I mean, this would be a perfect year. I mean, re- realistically, he probably wasn't getting more than like maybe a two, three year deal. Uh, yeah. And even and even that might be considered a stretch. Like he probably would have gotten a one year deal, most realistically speaking, uh, from somewhere else. And it would probably be less than eighteen point nine million dollars. Uh, so this yeah. would be a good year to try and to try and build up his stock, and then maybe head out of San Francisco with a two or three year deal from a from a contending team. Yeah, because yeah, we've talked about it. He's always had the potential, um, and now I think it seems that he's uh, he's living up to it. Um, I'm trying to see, I mean, his walk numbers were never terrible. It's kind of hit prevention that's been his problem. Yeah. And uh, did a good job of doing that last year. And then I guess the more surprising one for sure, because, you know, okay. we talked about this guy and his free agency earlier in the year when he, um, he, when he, had, when he left the Mets. Yeah. He, he opted out of the season at, after qualifying for free agency with the amount of service time he got. And now he's back with the Mets. Uh, you know, getting a qualifying offer, you know, definitely getting more money than he would have had he opted out earlier, but still, you know, a surprising move kind of staying with the Mets, uh, 
you know, thankfully for Steve Cohen. This guy is very, very under the radar, Chris. Um, and I, I'm, I really want to point that out because Marcus Stroman is, is a guy who is a legitimate like two or three in your rotation. And it's not like he has to go through the pressure of being an ace because they have Jacob DeGrom, who is probably the best pitcher in all of baseball. Uh, at least over the last three years, even though he can't win a game, but that's okay. Um, Strowman is a guy who, I mean, listen, albeit, you know, he did opt out uh, of the season last year. I don't really blame him for that. I mean, he was not, he wasn't the only Mets player who opted out midseason. So yeah, obviously there was something going on within that clubhouse, what, whatever it may have been. Um, but I'm happy to see him back in New York. Uh, he's a Long Island guy. So it is cool to see him you know, in a market. And it's not like he's on the Yankees where like, he's sort of restricted by the, the culture within that franchise. Like he can be himself with the Mets, uh, which I really do think is, is big for him on a, both on a professional level and just on a personal level. Like I think he pitches, I think it would, you know, he can pitch better when he, you know, can be this, you know, that outspoken guy on the mound uh, who is very just fierce and competitive. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't have much to say on that. Uh, he, the fact that he missed this year entirely probably wouldn't have helped his free agent chances anyway. So I think it does make a bit of sense for him to accept the qualifying offer. Yeah, I, I would agree. A qualifying offer kind of makes sense for him, um, with, yeah, I mean, any, in his tweet, he mentioned Steve Cohen. Yeah. So that probably played a bit of a factor. Yeah. And I mean, this is, there has never been a better time to be a Met than right now yeah not really and like you know we mentioned you, you mentioned that you know going to the yankees would be different because of uh the culture not really being a culture that maybe marcus strobeman would thrive in but also like the yankees are a team that's overdue for a world series so that's a championship or bust team the with the mets you're on a kind of hopeful organization you're you know anything you know, you're not, you don't have the highest of expectations, but people are just kind of hopeful. They're not really expecting much yet, but they're, they're thinking maybe this can be a really good team in the future. Cohen has said like he wants to win a world series within the next three to five years. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. this is a good organization to be with. Maybe he's kind of testing the waters more with the Mets, maybe thinking they can, that he can get extended. Um, eventually like if he has a good year this year maybe he gets a good deal with the Mets um sticking with the organization because you know maybe not average annual value wise but he probably probably could have gotten more money on the free agent market with like a three or four year deal um but ultimately decided decided to stick it out with the Mets he did and I'm really I'm I'm excited like he's gonna be a fun guy to watch they're gonna hopefully get Syndergaard back next year um, as a free, you know, uh, from Tommy John surgery, they're going to have him DeGrom and Stroman. That's going to be a pretty good three headed monster. Uh, if Stroman can get back to form in 2021, which I, I really don't see a reason why he can't. Uh, and then as far as four or five, you know, we can figure that out. Um, there's a guy, I believe his name is David Peterson who looked pretty good for them last year. D- Dylan Peterson, maybe. No, it was yeah, David. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, he looked pretty good for the Mets last year. He had a uh, he had a three four four ERA, albeit a four five two FIP, but you know that's something they can build off of and use as a decent like four or five starter. Yeah, and they 
they kept their manager, right? Luis Rojas. Yeah. And I, I like that. Like, I think Luis Rojas is the guy for the job. Uh, just, you know, the Will Ponds, maybe Brody Van Wagenen wasn't the right move for the Mets. Um, I think they can clearly be seen. Um, also, just for the record, Edwin Diaz is way better than everyone wants to believe he is. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. Diaz, yeah, 175 ERA last year. With a 218 fit. The only issue is just, for whatever reason, he, he just in save situations, he's a different guy for some reason. Like 13 blown saves over the last two years. I know that obviously isn't good, but yeah, it's very weird. It is very, and his strikeout numbers are off the charts too. Yeah, so some, some good news out of Queens there. Um, definitely looking at them differently uh, than we were, say, a week ago yep. uh, in terms of what they can do in 2021. So, and the final news we get, we have to get to, it's been, it's been cleaning up the headlines all over the place. Uh, and it happened, uh, what, yesterday? Friday. What day did it, what day did it happen? It happened on Friday. Happened on Friday. Uh, Kim Ng, is that a name? Kim Eng. Eng? Yes, it's pronounced like I-N-G. Okay. Kim Ng, uh, who we both had not heard of, but probably should have heard of, uh, you know, entering this job with 30 plus years of major league experience, hired as the first female GM in sports history uh, by the Miami Marlins. Yeah, this is a big deal. Like, regardless, you know, obviously, you know, obviously, She's breaking a huge barrier that people have been talking about for a long time before ever going to see it. Uh, and it's, it's someone who earned it. Like this is not just a PR move by the Marlins. It's not just, Oh, they had, you know, other candidates, but because they wanted to make headlines, that's not, that's not what this is. Kim Ang was legitimately the most qualified candidate. In fact, she was overqualified for a first time GM. Susan Waldman went on MLB network today and directly said, like she is the most overqualified first time GM in major league history. Uh, just for the record, she started out in 1990 uh, being an assistant GM in the Chicago White Sox organization. Uh, and later on, she moved to the New York Yankees, uh, the team that she grew up rooting for. She was there from 1998 to 2001. Uh, she was assistant GM is there. And then she went over to the Los Angeles Dodgers. So that's two big markets that she was a part of. And mind you, she was also there for the Yankees dynasty as well. Uh, was was an assistant GM with the Dodgers. And then in 2011, she moved into the MLB front office to work with Bud Selig, Rob Manfred, guys like that. So this is someone who has been in and around the game for long, way longer than we've been alive, Chris. Um, so obviously I'm really happy for her. I'm excited to see the moves that she decides to make with an up and coming franchise like the Marlins. Uh, and it's, it's, this is an exciting time to be a baseball fan. Yeah, it's uh it's pretty big and it probably will help, you know, it should help the Marlins. This is a team that's developing. Uh, they kind of got to the playoffs earlier than we would have expected and getting good earlier than expected. So, you know, I, I'm not sure what her uh, general manager style will be, you know, cause she's been around for 30 years. I don't know if it'll be more old school. I don't know if she's uh, more new age than, some people, but, you know, we'll see what she brings to the table. I mean, she, what should be noted is, you know, Brian Cashman is one of the more well-regarded GMs out there. And 
she worked under him for for four years yep. at the at the peak of the Yankees dynasty. So Here's that should show. definitely be, be noted. Uh, Kim Ng is actually turning 53 years old uh, on the day that this is dropping, November 17th. Oh, well, happy birthday to Kim Ng. Happy birthday to Kim Ng. Uh, quite a birthday present, huh? Yeah. How about that? How about that? Yeah. I got a, I got a microphone. She got a GM position. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are, you guys are not the same. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, that that's what happens when you don't have uh 30 plus years of major league experience. You get, you yeah. get a microphone and you get some cookies, uh, for, uh, for your birthday. That's right. Yeah. Kimming. That's it's a, it's a big deal. Um, you know, progress you know very socially progressive but i mean overall i feel like you know the, the way the marlins are as a club like you know they're gotta be excited to have something like this like this is obviously a very special occasion for baseball and the marlins are a team that loves to step up to occasions you know they embrace the whole bottom feeders mentality when they're in the playoffs last year like they're ready they're ready for whatever people throw at them and like they are a team that is ready and will will step up to the plate uh for the first female gm in sports yeah a, a good moment for them um and yeah I, I don't really have uh too much more to say about it i mean it, it should be interesting to see um what her dealings will look like that uh, and i'm excited to see like who else this opens the door for yeah I'm, i mean i know there's there's one name in the red sox front office that has been talked about um i forgot the name exactly We'll pause this and then we'll uh we'll put, you'll put that in if you want to look it up. Um yeah, I mean Kim Ng, GM, her Red Sox Red Sox front office woman. Let's see if that pulls up anything. I know Jared tweeted about it. So I'm Raquel Raquel Ferreira, mm -hmm. um who is, let's see, this is an this is a CNBC article written about her um she is a uh, boston red sox vice president of major and minor league operations uh for the red sox so mm -hmm. that might be a future gm um for a team raquel ferrera yeah so that's that's a name to keep on your radar yep one of them so now i guess we move on to uh the baseball reference front page we do i'm looking we got some names here um I'm just going the first oh, time my God. do we have the same front page because Hannes Wagner is literally literally on here I saw him earlier in the hour so I figured fantastic I mean we already have... talked about him so I feel like we should move on uh that by the way when we do the baseball front office front page we're not necessarily looking for the best player we're just looking for a player we're like man like if there's like an I haven't heard that name in years type of guy that's what we're looking for. Uh, so just looking here, we got uh, Cody Allen, uh, former Indians closer. We got Julio Lugo up there. Julio Lugo is there. Um, Ozzie Guillen, uh, the manager of the 2005 White Sox, and also Willie Stargell, a Hall of Famer. Uh, I kind of want to talk about Julio Lugo just because that's kind of the most Me arbitrary too. name. Uh, speaking of birthdays, it is his today on November wow. 14th. He just turned 45. 45. Uh, he is a noted Red Sox free agent bust. Yes. 
He played two years with the with the Reds. Oh no, played three years or parts of three years with the Red Sox. Um, had an outstanding 664 OPS with a 73 OPS plus, uh, which is which is awesome. Uh, it's exactly what the Red Sox were looking for when they. Yeah, I mean, I guess 30, 33 stolen bases in 07. Yeah, and uh, he had that one catch in the World Series that was nice. That one catch. Yep. Uh, that was fun. Julio Lugo. This is a guy who played for twelve years, and he played for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different teams in twelve years. This guy was moving around. He was a he was a journeyman, so they say. Uh, this two thousand six season, it was only seventy three games long, but it looks pretty good. He split it between the Rays and the between the Devil the Rays and the Dodgers. Um, yeah, he played four years with the Rays, so his baseball reference picture is with the Tampa Bay. This is with the Devil Rays, by the way. Uh, this was before they were the Tampa Bay, just Rays in general. Yeah. Uh, he had an 871 OPS in 73 games with, with the, the Devil Rays in 06. Uh, probably the best overall play of his career. He also hit 308 with them. Uh, so that's pretty good. Yeah, and he had uh, overall in 06, yeah, seven, <laughs> dang. And he was all really, really tanked with the Dodgers. <laughs> he he built up his stock a ton and then went and tanked with the Dodgers. And and the Red Sox rightfully just signed him for like, I think it was four yeah, years. I mean, in fairness, the Red Sox probably, this is before the pitch tracking era, so it's not like they could have seen a ton of him in LA. They probably just saw him in Tampa in the division. They were just like, yeah, give me that guy. Yeah, I mean, they signed him for, I think it was four, four years, thirty-six million, something like that. Sounds about right. It, uh, which was a lot more back then. Yes. But yeah. Um, <laughs> set the, I mean, I guess he set the stage for Jed Lowry. I don't know. Sure, sure thing. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, Julio Lugo. I, I mean, guess we'll keep it Julio Lugo. Yeah, we'll go one one guy per every baseball reference page. But yeah, that's our Julio Lugo appreciation, specifically the first half of his 2006 season. Yeah, yeah. somehow was able to get 13.5 wins above replacement, um, yeah. ultimately. Yeah. Uh, I mean, two, almost... Two wins, yeah. He had two wins with the Rays and then negative one with the Dodgers. 198 career stolen bases, uh, 39 yeah. in 2005. So that's pretty good. Yeah, that's a pretty good time. He has the uh, he has the same amount of home runs as Omar Vizquel. Eighty, yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> was he on the ballot? Mm, he only played twelve years. Uh, I mean, he was eligible. No, mm. he wasn't. He was not on the ballot. When did he retire? Uh, Eleven. So he would have been okay. So that would have been a while ago. That would have been four years ago that he would have been eligible. Yeah, would have definitely not made. And also, Julio Lugo should be noted. Uh, was top five uh, in his league and errors committed six times. Um, in, yeah. shortstop, in shortstop, just a shortstop though. Yeah. Okay. Be. Yeah. Shout out to Julio Lugo. And also he was a part of that. Remember that Pirates Braves play? It was like the 18th inning and it was. Oh my uh, God. Yes. It was like the worst call ever. Yeah. Maybe I should screen. I, I should probably screen share that. Yeah. Um. I just remember there, there was a guy on the Pirates who was, whose name was McCutcheon, but it was not Andrew, and it was the pitcher. Yeah. Pi- Pirates, Braves. Literally, first thing that comes up, Pirates, Braves, blown call. 
Yep. <laughs> um, I mean, what else have the Pirates and Braves really done? But like, I mean, the 1992 uh, NLCS was the was the uh, was the second thing. I didn't think of that. That's a good point. But I only I only saw that because it was in in the uh, search bar. But yeah, here we go. Uh, <laughs> if you want to watch on did, YouTube, uh, did Lugo score the game winning run? Yeah. Nice. He's right in there. Second out is Daniel McCutcheon and a ground ball to third, breaking for the plate, the throw, and they got him. No, he called him safe. He called him safe. Unbelievable. Jerry Meals called him safe. The throw beat him by a mile. That is incredible. How can you end? He called him safe. How can you end You've got to be kidding me, Jerry Meals. That is remarkable. That is unbelievable. The throw beat him by a mile. And he's saying that he wasn't tagged? That is unbelievable. That... This will be later. You've got to be kidding. And you're going to end the game like this? This is how the game ends? That's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> Here we go. The best part about that video that nobody talks about was the fact that the base, the, the hitter tripped down the first baseline while running the first. All right. I'll have, to, I'll have to watch yep. that again. Go back to the replay from behind home plate. Yeah, watch the watch. Oh, the he falls on his face. Yeah, <laughs> nobody, nobody talks about that. Yeah, I'll watch it on mute. But yeah, he, he falls on his face. Yeah. And then he goes, I mean, they could have hypothetically got the guy out at first, although it wouldn't have mattered. I have a hot take. What? Um, umpires should have to do press conferences. Um. Because when like stuff like that happens, they don't have to hold themselves accountable. They don't have to answer questions. They can just leave whenever they want. Like if a pitcher gives up a game-winning home run, he has to sit in front of a press room and, and ask about get asked about the home run all, like on repeat. If an umpire completely blows a game like that, there's nothing that has to be done. It's just okay, your your job's done. You can go home. Yeah, and like Harry Meals should have had had to answer questions after that game, being like, "Do do you think he was safe?" Yeah, Tell although us, I don't know if any. Walk me through that last play there, Jerry. Yeah, I don't know if the writers would have any enthusiasm as it was probably like two in the morning at that point. Imagine that would imagine the Jim Joyce presser after the Armando Galarraga game. Yeah, that would have been brutal. Jim, are you aware that you just committed the worst call in the history of professional sporting events and just cost this young man the greatest moment of his life? Yeah. But to be fair, Jim Joyce did hold himself accountable for that. Yeah, he like he was in tears, and he was like he apologized profusely to God. Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing the the next day. Yeah, like what happened. I remember I was in I was in third grade, and my teacher like sat us down. She was like, "There was something that happened in baseball yesterday. There was there's a thing called a perfect game, and it happens when a pitcher goes for the entire game and he gets everybody out. And there was a play where." It was the last out, and the guy hit it, and it was going to be an out, but the umpire caught him safe, even though he was out, and it ruined the perfect game. <laughs> my teacher, like, it was like she got a bad note from a sub. Like, she was, like, talking about just this perfect game being ruined, 
I mean, I was probably one of like the six people in the room that actually cared about baseball at that point. I actually hadn't seen it, uh, believe it or not. It was a day game, but um, I was like, oh my God, like that's a, per- a perfect game. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, that was what, 2010? Yeah. 2010. Um, game. He got a 28 out perfect game. Yeah, he did. Like, that thing, it can't even be considered a no hitter. Like when Max Serger's perfect game got ruined by Jose Tabata, like it was at least a no hitter. Armando Galarraga can even claim that. Yeah. And like, uh, and uh, yeah, it, at least Jim Joyce still has one of the, or actually, what, what I was going to say, replay would have kind of made it weird too. Like after one, after like five seconds, all of a sudden they can celebrate. That would be the weirdest, that would be the weirdest perfect game celebration ever. It would be weird, but I'd rather that over, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, replay would have helped in the, uh, in that game too. In the Pirates Braves game. Yeah, for sure. Clint Hurdle would have just been like, he wouldn't even had to, usually like you would go on the phone yeah, you know, he would have just been like, nah. Which, to be fair, you don't really have to because it's the end of the game anyway, so it's not like you have anything to lose. Yeah, exactly. One of my one of my best, like, envisions is, like, imagine a manager just trolls a team by, like, imagine there's, like, a ground ball, like, to end a game where the guy's, you know, it's the guy's out by 10 steps and, like, the umpire's just like, nah, I don't know, take a look. <laughs> looked out to me. That would be. Just the, just the troll. Like, end of your season, maybe. Like, it's a, it's a game four. Of a of a swept series, you're just like, I don't yeah. know, take a look. I think, yeah. you, I think you missed the bag. Like uh, like two like remember the 2004 last out where like Renteria was halfway down the baseline. Imagine if Tony Larusso was like, like well, I mean, there wasn't a replay then, but imagine if there was Tony Larusso was like, oh, I think he, I think he yeah, we, we're gonna need a second look. <laughs> All right, well, this has been a lot of fun. It was. A, a fun-filled, tangent-filled episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode, episode sixty-nine, our nicest episode yet. Um, where, uh, and if if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you want to watch us uh, talk, you want to watch that blown call of that uh, 2011 game with which Julio Lugo scored the last run. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's called STBNL with Chris Gianta and Daniel Curran. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, follow my Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel's Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran. And follow our show Instagram at STBNL Podcast. And uh, we hope you enjoyed our um, little news kind of weekend week recap um and we hope to see you for our steve carlton history episode on thursday we will see you then